Hello and welcome back to another VJ Oncology podcast. In this episode, we'll be hearing from Roberto Salgado and Marlene Koch as they discuss the latest advances in treatment de-escalation in patients with triple negative breast cancer. Topics discussed include defining de-escalation, biomarkers of de-escalation, and the prognostic role of tumor infiltrating lymphocytes. Dear colleagues, dear friends, uh, many thanks for attending this special session on breast cancer. And we have the pleasure here to have a real expert, Marilyn Koch from the Netherlands Cancer Institute, a world-renowned breast cancer oncologist. Um, and she has an amazing talent for innovative trials, and that's actually what we're going to talk about right now. There is this emerging topic, Marilyn, about de-escalation therapy. We heard it at several meetings already this morning here at Esmo Breast in Berlin. What is exactly de-escalation therapy? Yeah, good question, uh, Alberto. It's kind of a scary terminology, right? Of course, yes. In oncology. So what we in general consider de-escalation is giving less systemic treatment or even less surgery or less radiation. So it can apply to all kinds of modalities, but as a medical oncologist in general, we are talking about giving less systemic treatment and it usually applies to early setting. Okay. Because in the metastatic setting, there's another goal for a patient living longer and in the early setting, yes living longer but also with less toxicity interesting interesting because we, we heard several lectures this morning about potential use of de-escalation in triple negative breast cancer which is actually what we know one of the most aggressive subtypes yeah. in breast cancer and still there we tend to think let's give less chemo yeah uh, how dangerous would that be can you explain what is the evidence already that we can identify a subset of those patients who may be we may be over treating yeah that's what you're saying right yeah yeah, yeah. um so coming back to your point on aggressiveness okay. I, I don't agree that oh, it's that as a total that tmbc is aggressive okay. if you look at a longer term outcome yes the tmbc patients if they recur then it's usually in the first couple of years first two years or very early okay. Uh, which is of course dramatic. But if you look at the long term, the outcome is as good or as poor as with positive breast cancer. So that's, I think, good to say. And then maybe I'm, you know, maybe I'm a bit a teacher here, but also going back to the definition, triple negative breast cancer, right? It's a poor definition, meaning we measure three things. And if you don't have it, you, you come to that basket of, you know, the rest. And I think that also explains the heterogeneity. Uh, because you see the outcome really depends on subtype of breast cancer and for example whether you have immune cells in the breast tumor and of course on tumor size and lymph node status. Okay. Very heterogeneous disease. That's, that's extremely interesting because we are now in the era of immunotherapy, certainly in triple negative breast cancer. Certainly when, when there is an increasing tendency to treat this patient before surgery chemotherapy and immunotherapy. And now you're saying there might be a subset of those patients with a lot of immune cells already present, yeah. even if you don't have, if you, if, you, if you didn't treat them before with anything, they have already intrinsically a lot of immune cells present. Yeah. And, and just to, to, to raise the awareness to the patients, 
because it might get scary to say, okay, will I, I really get less chemotherapy than other patients? Is, what is the evidence already in, in, for example, the very, what we tend to call the very aggressive subtype TMBC in the very early young age group of our patients? Yeah. Is there any evidence that the amount of infiltrate of immune cells, the strength of the immune system, is actually identifying a subset of the species which might do excellent? Yes, yes, there is. And thanks to pathologists uh, like you, Roberto. Um, so if you go back in, in history, and I think you're more aware of that than, than I. So there is this subtype of breast cancer reported, I think, already in the 80s or the 90s, like lymphocyte predominant breast cancer. So it's not really a novel finding. It's more that now that we have treatment options available, we, we are able to, you know, subclassify and subgroup. And thereby, I think this feature uh, comes back. And indeed so already present so what at least i see and i think uh, many people agree it's a readout for an endogenous immune recognition of the tumor basically the immune system is already busy trying to get rid of the tumor but it was not successful otherwise you don't get the diagnosis of cancer uh, and yes for the young patients because that's especially the group where you are even more scared of a relapse um, there have been first data in the area of chemotherapy so if you have high number of lymphocytes or we call them till tumor infiltrating lymphocytes high level you're way more likely to respond to chemotherapy okay. and maybe instead of like four chemos you can give two so that's the first hint but very important and thanks to the work of Sabine Lin a professor at, uh, at my institute in uh, NKI in Amsterdam so she had this vision to get to the go to the Dutch cancer registry okay. and collect data from TBC patients uh, uh, younger than 40 treated in the past because okay. you know if you can recall so chemotherapy used to be when it was introduced in breast cancer for lymph node positive disease. So lymph node negative disease, and that's exactly what we're talking about. So TMBC with you know lymph nodes not involved, where we have a good prognosis, and there you can think of de-escalation. In that group, she collected over 500 cases where tumor blocks. And pathologists, uh, thanks to you, Roberto, looked at this stills and remarkable results. So in that group group, lymph node negative, uh, younger than 40, if you have high TIL, your prognosis is excellent, even on overall survival, long-term outcome. And that's really questioning if this patient comes to me, like tomorrow in my clinic, and she has high TILs and she is young, and I will prescribe her anthracycline four cycles, carboplatin, paclitaxel. That's overtreatment if we now see that without chemotherapy, they did excellent. Interesting. So, so in order to have more convincing evidence, because I, I, I do understand clinicians and also patients that they may still be a bit reluctant yeah. to use this concept of the immune infiltrate, yeah. mostly because it's, it's morphology. It's what you see through a microscope. So it's not a genomic essay. They, an oncologist told me a few days ago, if we would quantify the immune system with a, a genomic method, we would all already use it in clinical practice and there would be five to six clinical trials already running. But because it's morphology, people become a bit reluctant. So my question to you is to, to convince the patient that indeed there might be a substitute 
to what's called patient's call, not de-escalation, but optimizing, yes, optimization. optimizing therapy. Yes. What are the future trials that are now being developed to have this extra additional information to convince clinics and patients yeah. that effectively, yeah. if we give you less toxic treatment, you do actually as good as before. Yeah. Yeah, I think first of all, there's a, a lot of discussion going on in the field, which is, good. Uh, which is good to really pinpoint to what evidence do we have and what is the right trial to do. I think there's not only one trial that we can do. And I think if you look at all things admitted to the clinic, there are several trials that provide like accumulating evidence. But first of all, we need, you know, to assess the tills and not only in a clinical trial, but really at the, you know, when we set a diagnosis, because if it's really in a standard report, it's way easier to select patients for a trial. Indeed. But maybe for not for all countries and all centers that, that will be possible because you need a, a pathologist that's also willing okay. to do so. Um, but first of all, I think for those patients with super high TIL, the cutoff that can be used above 50%, even 75%. So give no chemotherapy or less chemotherapy. And maybe the less chemotherapy is more appealing. So do it step by step. And then the discussion is focused on, do we need to randomize? Because if you do a randomized trial, you numbers you need is huge. So, and I think the majority of the people is now convinced that a single arm trial for till high patients would be an option. Okay, but that would be a phase two trial. Single arm phase two. two, but we have examples, okay. for example, in the HER2 positive space, which is, you know, an example, I think, okay. because HER2 positive used to be aggressive, but now we de-escalated the anthracycline treatment, for example. Okay. And now we are discussing in that field, can we really leave out the chemotherapy for selected cases? So the HER2 positive is an example. And in HER2 positive, we now prescribe a little chemotherapy, paclitaxel with trastuzumab, based on a single arm phase two trial. Okay. Another trial that's important and is a debate where that should be done for all comers or select based on till is leaving out the anthracyclines. Okay. Remember the anthracyclines were there first and we it's it's the backbone. So we put things on top. We put the texanes on top, carboplatin, pembrolizumab, and now the PCR rate it's 65%. But we don't know the contribution of this one. And this one is most toxic. So what will happen if you save the anthracyclines, start with the first three compartments, and if you don't have a PCR, then can give the anthracyclines as a kind of like a, a selfish treatment. That, that's, that's intriguing, intriguing, because you always hear back and forth this argument that before we introduce a biomarker in daily practice, you need to have the highest level of evidence, which is level 1A, prospectively randomized trials, biomarker driven. And what pathologists tell me, and I'm a pathologist myself, for many prognostic biomarkers that we use in our daily practice already today for decades, which have been in guidelines for decades, we don't have this level 1A evidence because we use them combined. And that gives the, in the, clinic, the clinician an indication about the risk of recurrence, yeah. the clinical high risk profile of their patient. Do you think that we should use the TILS today already in such a concept, namely not as a binary variable, but together with all the other variables informing the clinician, this is the risk profile of your patient. 
and without formally stating, now you can safely free, safely omit chemotherapy. But just to inform the clinician that if he has a patient in front of him with a lot of comorbidities, that he might say, okay, you have a, a high number of immune cells, you will do excellent, so we might give a little bit less toxic treatment. Is that pragmatic and feasible? Or is that already a dangerous evolution? What do you think? Yeah, it's good that you emphasize that the TILS is not a standalone, as it is right now. So in the tumor boards, we make the decision based on tumor size, lymph node status, uh, age of the patient, comorbidity, etc. So the TILS is not a standalone, but it's an addition to what we have to better tailor prognosis. And you're right, in, in those difficult cases with, with comorbidity or patients at a certain age, or some patients really have this wish not to be treated with chemotherapy. It can help you. So it's not like a decision yes or no, it, it contributes. May I ask a question to you? Of course. Because you ask me, you know, can we use it? But the, the discussion that usually is among, um, 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 among medical oncologists, is it reproducible? So how, how reproducible are TILS if, you know, you score it and then a pathologist in the US and in Asia scores the same slides. So can you tell us about that? Well. If you compare, and that's about the thing about being pragmatic. Most of the biomarkers that we analyze in our daily practices are estimates. Estrogen receptor, progesterone receptor, HER2, Kia67, great atypia, lymphovascular tumor invasion. They're all estimates by the pathologist. And the pragmatism in that context is it's good enough for clinical practice. If you read the concordances of all those variables, it's always moderate to good, rarely excellent. And if you compare the concordance analysis on TILS done by powered studies by the TILS working group, it's even better than most of these other biomarkers. And it gets even better if you train pathologists. Now, because you ask me this question, I take this opportunity to, to, to throw out to the community uh, a concept which I think is crucial if we want to implement biomarkers in daily practice. Namely, how has it been done so far? You have the pharma industry, in which we have excellent collaborations with. They do the phase three clinical trials with a biomarker. They push a button, and then everybody expects that all pathology labs in the world will be able to implement that biomarker. You may have seen with PDL1 that it doesn't work. That you need to train and retrain and develop reference materials to help those pathologists assess that biomarker. So the only way I think that we can introduce the TILS safely is that we start today systematically adding the TILS in the pathology report. Exactly. Exactly. That we continue to develop reference materials and training materials for the pathologist. And, and that's the message which I think is an important one for the community, that we start to use local testing for trial inclusion and not central testing. Because how does it work in, in, in big pharma-driven trials? You have a CRO with just a few pathologists who do the biomarker analysis for that trial, and then the trial gets positive and everybody assumes we will all be able to replicate those 
find those results by those limited number of pathologists. And we have seen that's not the case. And the only way in which we can enhance the concept of biomarker introduction is if we use local testing by trained pathologists. That Maybe I can share the experience we have at, uh, at the NKI. Please. So it's, it's a pleasure to really work in a, in a research institute. Because we are trying, we do the following. If a pathologist that is not well trained on, on TIL scoring, but wants to use the TIL scoring, or when a patient seems to be eligible for a trial where TIL scoring is required, we do the following. So the h &E slide that's necessary for, for TIL scoring, it's, uh, it's scanned and uploaded to a certain software system. And of course the pathologist in charge can provide a TIL score. But maybe that pathologist is not really certain, but then an expert panel of the pathologist really well trained also provides a tail score within 48 hours. So then the pathologist, the starting pathologist will have a reference and thereby it's get trained on the spot and also thereby we can already run a trial with tail as entry criteria. It's the, it's the Bellini trial. Um, it's a small trial but it's a start to, to get experience with using tails uh, for, for entry, as entry criteria of vital importance for de-escalation purposes and also for future I.O. trials probably. Excellent, excellent. I think I read that manuscript by Husidek in Nature NPG Breast Cancer, which I strongly encourage the community to have a look at it because it's a new concept which I think will solve a lot of issues in the field of biomarker implementation in daily practice. So many thanks, Marlene, for this excellent Pleasure. discussion. I learned a lot thanks, once so. again. And uh, thank you all for your interest and, and patience. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks for listening. If you have found this podcast useful, please leave a review and subscribe on your podcast app so we can continue to deliver expert-led content to you. Follow us on Twitter at VJ Oncology and join in the conversation. And finally, don't forget to visit vjoncology.com for all the latest updates in the field.